DG, welcome to Addictive Talk. Thank you so much for allowing me to come over and spend some time with you, first of all. I'm so, so grateful. No, it's, no idea. the pleasure is mine. I'm, I mean, when, you, when you asked to arrange this, I was like, yes, absolutely. So thank you for, for one, taking the time and energy to come over and thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been amazing so far, but the idea of today is to get to know DG a bit more sure because there's beautiful philosophy in everything that you say and teach and it's insightful and inspiring to all of us back in the uk and i'm sure everywhere in the world but i'd love for certainly um the people that i know to get to know you a bit more because we had some time together i just i got to understand a little bit more about you and your background and why you are the way you are now and why you are where you are. Mm. Um, and I'd love for some some other people to have some insight into that as well. So I'm going to go straight in with the first question about sure. your career in the NBA, or yeah. not in the NBA, NBA, sorry. Was it your dream to play in the NBA? You know, it's, it's funny because people ask me that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. My dream was to play basketball. I didn't care where it was. I didn't care if I was playing overseas. I didn't care if I was in the NBA. I didn't care if I was playing in a semi-pro league every weekend. Mm-hmm. I loved the game so much. I just wanted to play for a living. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't grow up with the NBA all around me. My dad didn't play basketball. My mom didn't play basketball. My brother didn't play basketball. So I didn't have this dream of the NBA constantly surrounding me. It was just like, I like playing this game. I'm pretty good at it. Let's just see how long I can play. And that was that was always my intention. Mm-hmm. And your career with the Harlem Globetrotters, how, how, how was that? Yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. You know, my eight years, I went to 70 different countries. Wow. I was able to see the world. I was able to experience different perspectives, different walks of life. Um, I always say that the Globetrotters prepared me for what I'm doing now mm-hmm. because it allowed me to be able to um, relate to so many different walks of life. Globetrotters are an international brand. I mean, wherever we went, everybody loved us. Mm. So I learned kind of how to interact with people who maybe didn't grow up in the same place that you did or maybe didn't look like you. I was able to be exposed to all these different walks of life. And now looking at what I do now, that's like I have to be able to do that. I have to be able to relate to someone who's maybe Hindu or maybe someone who's Buddhist or somebody who's, you know, African-American like or white. I have to be able to meet them where they are. And I always say, like I said, playing for the Globetrotters helped me be able to do that. Mm. So did it ever seem like you might get into the NBA at any point through your career? Yeah, I was coming out of college. I went and had a tryout for what we call the G League over here, which is the developmental league. That's basically the minor league of the NBA. And I had a tryout for the team in Colorado. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to do this. Mm. And um, I played okay at tryouts. But I'm like, I played well enough that I thought I would at least get a call up or get a, get a, get invited to their training camp. And I didn't. Mm. And that happened time after time after time. I got offered with a contract to go play in Argentina. It fell through at the last minute. And my dream of playing professional basketball was like slowly wilting away. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't even care if I don't play. Who cares? Like, mm-hmm. I'll just go get a desk job or do something like something like that. And my buddy in college, my best friend, he called me up. He's like, hey, there's a tryout 
in Pennsylvania, probably like two hours away for a semi pro team. That's going to pay 300 bucks like a weekend. And we play every weekend. I was like, all right, cool. I got nothing else. So we drove two hours out there and I played great. I'm like, okay, I'll at least do this. And the coach starts walking over toward me. I'm like, okay, obviously he's going to tell me I made the team. And he walks up and he's like, um, man, you're great, but I already have my team picked. And I'm just <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And he says, but I know, I, he's like, I'm actually a scout for the Globetrotters part-time. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, not what I had in mind, but let me hear what out. And you were fully aware of what the Globetrotters Yeah, I knew was what the Globetrotters was because that's what introduced me to the game of basketball. No way. When I was seven years old, my parents took me and my brother to go see the Globetrotters. And I was like, I had never played basketball. I was a well, you say football player. I played yeah. soccer. Yeah, yeah. And I was oh, like, wow. I love this game. What is this? And that's what introduced me to basketball. Wow. So make a long story short, he put me in contact with the general manager of a team called the New York Nationals. The New York Nationals was the team who was playing against the Globetrotters. So I did that for a year. And I kind of got to see and get my feet you wet. Played for the New York I played for the New York against. Nationals against the, so I played against the Globetrotters every night for a year. Wow! And I essentially became friends with the guys who were on the Globetrotters. So then the next year, the owner of the Globetrotters he asked me, "Would I be interested in trying out?" And I'm like, "Okay, well, here's my opportunity to play basketball and make a living from it." And you know, the rest is history. That's amazing. It's so crazy. That was the first insight to the world of basketball that you had. It's crazy. Yeah. Ended up being the last one too. Yeah. It's wild. It's everything it just shows you everything in life goes full circle. Mm. Always. That pendulum, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, how did it feel when you kind of knew that the NBA wasn't going to happen? It was... I guess I I had I had always the way I was raised it was like look this is what it is don't cry over what it isn't mm. it's like keep the show moving all right you can sit here and cry over oh I wish I was in the NBA I wish mm. or you can make the most of where you're at right now and the opportunity that you have in front of you so yeah. that was always and always has been my 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 mentality it's like look is it what I had wanted maybe no but here's the reality of it here's what you have. If you have lemons, why don't you go ahead and make lemonade? And, mm. you know, I, I just, I was like, I'm going to make the most of this. And in those eight years, I feel like I did. I always find this, it's like perspective. If the NBA, NBA was never on the cards, for example, and the only thing you knew you could ever do was Harlem. Right. You'd be astounded. Right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You'd be over the moon with this, and, and as you should be anyway, regardless. But right. because that was a, a whisper. Right. of a dream right that could have been it it shows me too like i was always raised stop looking at what you don't have and pay attention to what you do have mm. and i mean that's the scarcity versus an abundant mindset right not looking at like oh well i'm not in the nba i don't have it's like no like you have an opportunity that a little boy X amount of years ago, he would have done anything to be where you're at right now. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you got in touch with him. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm. And I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I loved playing for the Globetrotters. I probably, I'd say year six is when I kind of like, all right, well, maybe there's got to be something else. Because, you know, me and my wife got married. We had our first child. And it was like, 
your priorities change, your perspective mm-hmm. changes. It's like, all right, I want to be home and raise my kids. And that's where kind of things, things shifted with me internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did it feel when that part of your life was over, I guess, because that's your dream, right? You, you, you've done, you, you've done what you set out to do, right? Yeah. You play that for a living. And that was your dream is to play the game you love yeah. to earn a living from it. You finished that. Did it kind of feel like, holy shit, what now? Yeah. It, that's been my life and that's over. Now what? It was, there was a great, it was weird because there was fear. Because mm. this was my identity for 20 something years. I'm a hooper. I'm a basketball player. And now it's done. It's over. But then there was also relief. Mm. Like, okay, I don't know what's next in life. But there's something that's new. That's coming. Like I can like recreate myself to be something new, whatever it may be. And like I said, it's the mix of fear, the mix of excitement, anticipation, which was confusing for me. Because I had known nothing different. I had never planned for one day you're going to stop playing basketball. That had never crossed my mind. So I just, I said to myself, like, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to still be around the game. I feel like I have too much expertise, too much experience for me to just say, like, okay, I'm going to go get a job at a desk and be an accountant. Like, Mm -hmm. can I figure out a way to be around the game? Can I be a coach? Can I be a scout? Whatever it is, I want to be around the game. And that's why I started my company of skill development, teaching basketball players how to play the game of basketball. And mm. that was like the next iteration of life. Mm. Yeah. You still doing that now? So I, I don't. I stopped doing that, the actual physical side of teaching the game and started working on the mental side because, as you know, I realized like I don't care how skilled you are at basketball. If mentally you're a mess, mm your basketball game will suffer. So how about we figure out this and then it'll make the basketball game so much easier. So that's where I spend a lot of my energy and time now. I love one of the things that you said about you'll never be, you'll never earn anything more than you feel worthy of. Yeah. And I keep seeing it rain true in lots of different areas. One, it rain true in my own life, but there was perhaps a slight caveat is that you, you can attain it, but you cannot keep it. So in my life, I achieved great success, but I never kept it. Um, and there's a, um, there's a football player called Delhi Ali, who actually comes from the city that I live in, in Milton Keynes. So, mm. um, and he went on to play for, in the Premier League, top oh. flight football for a team called Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. And they are, I sport Arsenal, that's our rivals. Okay, yeah. So generally I hated him, <laughs> but his career, he was, at the one point he was playing for England, one of the best players in the world. Oh. And slowly his performances dropped career mm. drop got sold from Tottenham to another team to another team to another team mm. and he just came out on a um, podcast with uh, another football player called Gary Neville who was played for Man United for his whole career won everything and now he just does he's a TV personality basically oh. and um, he did a, a one-on-one with Deli Ali and he shared the trauma of his life oh. abuse sexual abuse physical mm. abuse neglect adopted by new parents Man. He'd never faced it. He just went and played football. Right. But I apply that same principle that you say is that maybe internally he never felt worthy of what he had gotten yeah. because of the life that he'd had, the external perception that he was given of himself. Right. You know, his own family couldn't and wouldn't keep him. So you had to be adopted along with the abuse, along with the neglect. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like maybe if it would, do you think if somebody has suffered like that 
and they, whilst looking to achieve things, you know, using myself or him as an example, if they had grown and matured and healed the mental, would they have kept the physical, do you feel? For sure, for sure. You know, I always say that the mind was the engine and the body was the car. The skill was the car, right? The mental always precedes the physical. Mm -hmm. The two work together, but we have to make sure that the engine's fine-tuned in order for the car to work. And it goes back to self-worth. Mm -hmm. We have traumas. We have things that have happened in our lives that physically we've outgrown them, but energetically, emotionally, they're still there. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize it's like, if I don't go back and give my child version of me what it needed, mm -hmm. it's inevitably going to be the thing that holds me back. So like, like I look at business, I look at my marriage, I look at it as a father. I stopped focusing on trying to be a better father. I stopped focusing on trying to be a better husband. I stopped trying to grow my business. My intention, my focus every morning that I wake up is for me to heal the parts of myself that needed to be healed or to become more aware of the unawareness within me. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, because of that, my marriage has gotten better. I feel like I'm a more present, a better father. Mm. My business is growing. And getting athletes or getting people in general to realize it's like, you got to give yourself, you got to heal yourself. You got to go back to the past and self-parent and give yourself what it needed. Mm. Someone asked me a question the other day. What would happen if I stopped mm. in terms of if I stopped doing all the things that have gotten me where I am uh, in terms of mm. mainly my healing? Mainly, like, what if I stopped my breath work? What if I stopped journaling every day? What if I stopped cold water every day? Right. If I stopped exercising? Um, you know, what if I stopped meditation? Right. What would, would you ever stop or, um, or what would happen? And I was like, I don't know, because I never would. Mm. Can't, like, you can't even cr I can't cross your understand mind. Yeah. Why. Yeah. I can't understand why I would, but my guess if it is, is I would feel as though I'm standing still mm. and I can't feel like I'm standing still. Right. If anything, maybe I would feel like I know there's a part of me, the child, the critic is there, mm. the inner critic. No matter how good I get at anything at some point in my life or something I do, he will always say, mm. we're not good enough for that yeah. because he was made to feel that. And it's my job to be strong enough to convince him otherwise. Right. But if I stop putting into myself what enables me to be strong in that scenario. Right. I can no longer parent him and nurture him and cuddle him and reassure him that, right. that I am, we are enough yeah. and that we will be. So I feel like I would stop having the awareness. I would, I would start probably allowing my subconscious to be more in control again right. and just revert back to type as yeah. they call it. Right. Yeah. And I, so I wanted to get your perspective. What do you think would happen mm. if you stop doing what you do? Yeah, I think I think I would. Uh, I mean, it's just like a flower. You'd slowly start to wilt. You'd slowly start to like cave. Mm -hmm. And this is like you look at the nature of consciousness. We're as with everything, we're meant to keep expanding, right? And I I can't even like this is three non-negotiables that like regardless of what's going on, I don't care if they told me it was the end of the world. I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna meditate. I'm gonna journal, and I'm gonna do breath work. Mm -hmm. These are the three things every goddamn day I'm going to do, mm -hmm. regardless of what's going on. And I'm at a point now that I can't imagine myself not doing it. It's almost like you can't imagine yourself not breathing. Yeah. This has become a way of life. It's a lifestyle for me. It is yeah. my way of being. So um, you get to a certain point and there is no turning back around. Like, mm. 
Like the, I, yeah, I couldn't imagine stopping. I've, I've only, I've had breaks from it now and again, like for a day or two, if I'm mm. not well, for example, mm. um, physically. So if I've had a sore throat, it makes it more difficult to do breath work. Sure, I've got sure. a cold, I can't do breath work and I won't do a cold shower because it's going to make me sicker. Right, right. Outside of that, out with that, I'm not stopping. Yeah. You know, and even even when I'm sick, I'd normally try and do it anyway. Yeah. Or I'll pick up something else. So, right, you'll figure out a way to, like, do something to keep you mindful and yeah, present. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. While, while we're on that, let's... You said there are three things that you wouldn't do without. Let's... Because I feel like um, it's very easy to communicate with everyone about the philosophy that, that you have around, um, around healing, around the universe and how we fit into it and that life is mental sure um and it's um it's or it's easy for you to do that now with the knowledge that you have but what i think is harder perhaps for people to obtain is what can they physically do mm. can they physically do every single day you mentioned three already what would you suggest for somebody who needs to start understanding themselves where do they start yeah i always say bare minimum because sometimes meditation takes time breath work is something that's like maybe next level journal write down how you feel every morning write mm-hmm. down what you're thinking i write down every day what i'm feeling what i'm thinking i don't care if i'm thinking about eating a hot dog mm-hmm. i'm writing it down mm-hmm. because what it's going to do is it's going to help me to become more aware of what's going on inside of me yeah what are my thoughts doing what are my emotions doing and then what's going to end up happening is over time because you're so aware you start your day at that awareness now when something happens in the day instead of you being triggered unconsciously mm-hmm. you'll have the awareness that oh this bothers me yeah. Oh, I feel this way about her. I mm. feel this way about him. Mm. And it won't be the unconscious ego. So I always tell people bare minimum journal every day. Write down your biggest fears. Write down your biggest insecurities. Yeah. Figure out why you are the way you are. Go on a hunt to learn yourself. Mm. And when you find yourself, you'll see life continue to expand and blossom. You must have had an incredible cause to yeah. have the effect of where you are now. Yeah. So what was the cause that wow. made you? Yeah, I was always, I've always been inquisitive. I'm a Sagittarius, so I'm like seeker of knowledge. I want to know more. Mm-hmm. But I had rooted my worth when I got done with basketball. I had rooted my worth in financial stability. So I think I have to make a certain amount. I got to drive this car. I got to have this house and then I'll be enough. Well, it's coming from a place of lack. So what do I do? I attract people in my life who are at that same frequency. I got involved with a business partner, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But he was coming from a place of lack. He was coming from a a place of his wounded inner child. And essentially, we started doing business dealings and he was ended up, he was stealing everything from me and committed fraud. I mean, to the point where I had nothing, like zero. I had no money left, nothing in my retirement savings, checking account, nothing. My everything you done. Everything was gone, literally gone. And I'm not like being like facetious. No, it was literally gone. I woke up on Christmas morning and I got an alert from my bank that I had negative $135 in my account with no money coming in. Mm. And I'm asking myself, what the f-? And I, I, I went to the lowest of the low. I mean, my marriage started to suffer because my wife was like, this was your business partner. What's going on? And I woke up one Sunday morning and I'm like, I don't want to do this thing called life anymore. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm not going to keep this is life. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And I sat down to write a note to my son 
to my family. And I imagine my son finding out that his, can I open this real quick? Mm, yeah. Sure. Um, son. I, I imagine my son finding out that his father gave up on him. And I could feel his pain. And that was enough for me to like, stop writing the letter. Like I gotta, I gotta figure something out. And I always tell people if that did not happen, I'm not sitting here with you right now because that was the beginning of my awakening. Call that um, in the recovery circles, the internal snap. Mm, yeah. It was what that snap, it, and we call that like the pivotal moment where someone decides to get clean. Mm. or decides to change their life it's yeah. like you, you have a choice you get reach that point in your life with addiction where I've got two choices right now yeah die or live a new way mm. I can't do this no more and I I think we had this conversation when we first spoke right when I was saying this the son my son if it was not for him yeah. you know many times I've had conversations I was very young when I had him and probably with the wrong partner for me as well People say, oh, do you wish you didn't do this? Or do you wish you didn't have your son at that time? was like, if I didn't, mm. I would not be here. Yeah. Because uh -huh. I could not have found something worth living for at that moment uh -huh. in that time. Uh -huh. He was enough. You know, her, I at that time didn't feel enough. I right. didn't feel worthy of anything right then. But he deserved more. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It just shows you, too, that everything is... Everything is helping you to get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying that, like, oh, I maybe had him with the wrong partner, but if you hadn't had him with the right wrong partner, you wouldn't maybe be alive right now. Like, yeah. so which well, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, hundred like, percent. It's it's crazy to see like, and now I can tell you at this point, like, because it's five years now. It's been five years. That had to happen. Yeah, it had to happen for me. Like, I had to go through that because there was so much more inside of me that I would have never gotten to if I had not had this sacred wound. Mm -hmm. That wound was actually the like beginning of my healing journey. You reached the bottom, you reached the bottom of your rhythm, right? You know, you'd, you'd gone up, yeah. basketball ended, yeah. time to go back down. Yeah, exactly. I've got to find a new way back up because yeah. the other way I had is done. Exactly. But some people get there and it does, unfortunately it doesn't, it doesn't happen for them. Yeah. And they check. They take the other route. Unfortunately, neither of us did, and we're in that situation. But yeah. I'm hoping that people can listen to this right now and know that if they are feeling like that, stick around. Yes. Just one more. I always say, like, just one, more I, day. one more day. That was it. If I can just one more, one more day, one more day. I will, we'll worry about tomorrow when I get there. Mm -hmm. But let's just get through today, mm -hmm. and then you'll see that it starts to add up. You start to gain momentum, and you start to get a little bit more encouragement. Mm -hmm. And you'll look back at how far you've come and like, man, I can do it. I can keep going. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What was the start from that point? So that's the pendulum going down, right? right? What was the start of it going back up for you? What was the, the from a physical world perspective, what, what did you need to do around you? Yeah. To, it's, to pick yourself up from that because, you know, money, you need it. Right. I, mean, I want to talk to you more about that money as well, actually. But yeah. What did uh, you do? I think I um, really, so that was in like June of 2019. And then in uh, January of 2020, Kobe Bryant died, right? Kobe was like, I feel like he, he was my soul brother, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when that when he died, the next day, 
it's popped up on my phone, Kobe's top 14 books that he's ever read. And I'm like, I'm going to read his books. Mm -hmm. And I ordered all of them. And I started reading. They were all books on psychology. And this started to unlock. Like It's the only way I can say it. It started to like unlock parts of my mind. I started to like remember certain things about like the mind and like metaphysics and how life works. And I always tell people like, if that didn't happen, I don't know if I'm, if there's any DG mindset, if there's anything like it was literally the thing that went and opened up the box and allowed everything to come in. So I just went on and then COVID happened and it gave me time to sit here and think about like, what is it I want to do now? What is it? And that's that's really how everything, what you see today, how everything was birthed. It was through the fire, like the phoenix rose out of the fire. Mm. That's that's. It's funny how you describe it. It's like all these little pieces. Yeah. All these little, like even going back to you coaching, after a while, you know yeah. that's that's in a sense helping. Right. I'm helping. Right. I'm nurturing others. I'm guiding them. Yeah. It's already there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. It's to me, my mom used to tell me this when I was younger. She's like, you won't see the dots that are being connected until you look back. Mm-hmm. You can't see them on the front end. To me now, the awareness that I'm at, it's cool to see the dots and where, like, I don't know where it's going to connect, but I know this dot's about to connect to something else. Mm-hmm. And this is to me the beauty and the miracle of life. And you look back and you're like, man, everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Why was I ever worried? Yeah, it's easy in the moment to just be overwhelmed by everything around you. Like so I had uh, somebody ask me, how do I how do I deal with the pain I'm in? It might have been for a breakup or something like that. And I said, in a certain amount of time, you're gonna look back at this situation and say, this was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. You've got to believe that, yeah. trust that. And I look at in my own life and I lost, I will, I will, in symmetry to what happened with your career in basketball, my career with my own business, you know, it ended probably around a similar time. Mm. And um, I had invested everything into that, you know, my mm. worth was in that as we like, spoke about yesterday. And when that was over, I was like, this is the worst thing ever. I want to die. Mm. I do not want to be here anymore. Yeah. I lost everything I built. Yeah. Every, every bit of worth that I had was in there, you know? Yeah. And then when that was gone, it was like, well, like you, if this is life, I'm fucking out. Right, I'm out. I can't do this. Yeah, I can't feel this pain because it feels like I'm dying anyway. Right, but I look back at that situation now. It was the it was the catalyst. It's the best thing. Yeah, losing that company showed me that I can never ever and the I would never ever have my my self worth in anything outside of me mm. ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that goes as to extreme as even being a proud father. My worth doesn't come from how great he is. Yeah, yeah, that's hard for a lot of parents to hear. Mm, it but doesn't. That's, that's the healthy relationship to have with your children. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I want him to be proud of himself. I don't want him to be relying on my pride for him. Right. You know, and that's people. Some and I always, when you get out of rehab and stuff as well, and you talk to people about how to stay clean, and they say, "You and your recovery comes first. Mm. period yeah done okay what about my son he's really important no mm. being a dad is not as important as you staying clean if you're not clean you can't be a dad right right end of and i was like wow okay so i made some really hard decisions over the next you know six to twelve months the first six to twelve months which meant yeah. not seeing him as much uh-huh. it meant 
his happiness in my life wasn't my priority. Mm. My mental health, my well-being was my priority because if I'd have compromised in the short term, he would have been happier seeing me more. In the long term, he would have lost me. Do you know what I mean? So I looked at it as, right, this is a short-term loss for a long-term gain. You know, I I had to allow him and even see him suffer by not being able to see me mm. and being so upset, crying, please daddy, I want to do this and I'm having to say no. That's probably the hardest That's thing. Hard. I can't even imagine. Yeah. That was because I'd let him down so much already. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was one of the hardest thing I've ever done. Wow. wow. Man. Because mm. I'd been so selfish for the wrong reasons, and it felt, it felt odd being even selfish for the right reasons. And I, I just had faith. Mm. I had faith that what I was doing was right. And do you know, what? I just listened to people who had done it. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I sucked at recovery. Mm. <laughs> I was no good at staying clean or from using drugs or drinking alcohol. I tried my way for five, six years and failed. Mm. This person, these people who I trusted, who I'd met through recovery and said, this is what you got to do. Mm. And I just took it literally and was like, okay, wow. I'm going to do what you, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm do everything you say, I'm going to do it. And then, yeah. then my journey led me to obviously seeing things that you were saying. And it was just like, this guy says everything that I think and feel. Mm. This guy's putting into words what I have not been able to describe, what I actually didn't know, even in myself when I was hearing some of the things, I was like, yes, everything. Wow. This is it. Yeah. I feel like it has to be why your success is just flying right now mm. because there's so many people that have been closed off from this this manner of speaking that you have. Yeah, and I would say we all have it in us, right? Mm. You, you'll, uh, I live by, the, I live by the, the phrase, you'll only hear what you believe. Mm. So I know if you hear me, it's because deep down inside, you, you, you believe it, you know it, you mm-hmm. know it's inside of you. So I would say, you know, with, with, the gifts that I've been gifted with and you know, my purpose here on this earth, my help, my job is to help people find what they've been looking for. Mm. Not out there, but in here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You talk a lot about, um, planes, spiritual, physical, mental. Yeah. I've read the book you gave me. So it helped explain a lot of that to me, but yeah. for those, for those not, um, in a position of knowledge around that right now. Let's explain that. Can you explain that for yeah, me? Yeah, so so think of it like this. We live on three planes of existence, right? Sometimes in hermetic philosophy, they refer to it as the three great planes. The spiritual plane, the mental plane, the physical plane. Spirit, mind, body. Well, we don't get taught this. So we think that we're our body. You're not your body because you can observe your body. And if I can observe my body, that means I'm not my body. Just like when I look at a tree, I'm looking at the tree. So that's why I know I'm not the tree. Mm -hmm. The same goes for our thoughts. You can observe your thoughts. If you Mm -hmm. meditate and you're going to have a level of awareness, you will have, oh, wow, I just thought that. That means you're observing your thoughts. So you're not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what are we? You are the supreme awareness on the spiritual plane, consciousness, being, whatever you want to call it. That's aware of everything. But most of us, think that we are our thoughts. We think that we are our body. We think that we are our jobs. Mm. We think that we are our kids. Mm. We identify with all of these physical things, which is what the ego does. 
And we never get to a level of awareness of what we actually are. So when I'm speaking and I'm saying things to people, I'm speaking from the spiritual plane. But people don't realize it because they're hearing on the physical plane, but it resonates with people because it's coming from the the pure thing that we all are. Yeah. So it's almost like a beacon, like mm. like Batman's like uh <laughs> his, his 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 light that goes up in the sky so to call Batman. I'm speaking from a plane that mm. oh wow, like yeah, this resonates. Yeah, it's because I'm talking to your soul, I'm talking to your spirit right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Speaking of the physical world, we talked about money and I did say I wanted to come back to that yeah. with you. How do you feel about money in today's society? I used to have a really unhealthy relationship with money. Mm. My relationship with money was like, it was going to f- define who I was uh, and I could never get enough of it. I could never keep it. I needed more. I needed more. And now my relationship with money is, it's not fucking real. Yes. It's not real. Like so glad that's what you said. Like it's not real. It's it's literally like a mind made concept. It's made that up. It's made up. Literally. I used to travel all around the world. I'd get dollars from South Korea or I go to you know, I get pounds and I can't use them here in the US. What I do, I just throw them away. I don't Whereas it's worthless here. It's worthless. So I'm like, oh my it's not even real. It's just paper that we have essentially skewed people's perspective to make them think it's worth something because it has a certain number on it. Mm. It's not real. So now my relationship with money is I realize in this three dimensional world, you got to play the game. Mm. I look at money as um, a value exchange. Can I create enough value in this world so that when it comes back to me in the form of money, it will allow me to create more value Mm. And now I use it as the catalyst for me to like expand what my mission and what my goal is, as opposed to I want a Lamborghini, I want a Ferrari, I want people to see me. I want like, Mm -hmm. it's not real. Do you think that's what your relationship with it with it was before as well? Is I want to have money so that people can see me. That was exactly why I used to tell my wife like I'm gonna buy a Lamborghini. She's like, why? And I sat and thought about it one day. I'm like, so when I pull up at a light or a restaurant, people be like, damn, who is that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I said, thought about, it, I'm like, you really don't want the Lamborghini. You want people to approve of you. Yeah. You're just using your egos unconsciously using the Lamborghini as the reason why people will approve of you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dang. Why'd you feel you needed that? That was the little boy inside who didn't feel like he was enough as he was. Mm-hmm. So maybe this Lamborghini will make him enough. Maybe these millions of dollars will make him enough. Maybe all of these things will make him, and the ego's like, okay, and it sinks its teeth into it, it develops attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And now, like I said, I, I look at money, I, I started to look at money as a person. Is this a healthy relationship that I have with this person right now? Yeah. No, you're obsessive, you're a creep, you hoard it, you're <laughs> weird about it, stop. <laughs> like, they'd be like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. so like I said, my, 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 my view of it now has changed 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. And now I just look at it like, okay, I'm gonna produce as much value as I can to help the world. And then however that money, that sorry, however that value exchange comes back to me, maybe it comes in the form of money, maybe it comes in the form of time, I don't mm-hmm. know. But whatever comes back, I'm going to now use this to give even more value. Mm. And it's become a means to, to help the mission. Do you think your wife asked you that question because she could see what you couldn't? 
I think so. That yeah, you were already enough. Yeah, I believe. I believe she asked that. Maybe she did it unconsciously. Maybe her higher self knew, but like she was asking to say, like, do you even know really what you wanted? Yeah. Like, why do you need it? Yeah. Like, I love you as you are. Right. That car doesn't make me love you anymore. So why do you need it? Yeah. Why don't you see you the way I see you? Right. And she says that all the time. Yeah. I wish you saw you the way I see you. My girlfriend said that to me yesterday, the day before uh, we met because I was having a little bit of nerves in meeting you. And she said, I wish you could see what mm-hmm. I see when I watch you. Yeah. Like, you should have no fear yeah. around this situation. Wow. And she's right. Yeah. Of course she is. But oh, yeah. It's beautiful to have a woman behind you like that, right? For sure. For sure. I would say your soulmate always knows what's best for your soul. Mm. They know when to say it. They know how to say it. Yeah. They say the right thing exactly the right time. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm fortunate to just starting to experience that in my life. So that's awesome. Um, so money was a dependency that you had. Sure. You got rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. Has there been any other dependencies in your life that you've had over the last, you know, five years that you feel like you've worked through them and you've removed, you've developed a different relationship with them, those things or people or even. Yeah. I think for the longest, you know, and it's all relatively, no, it was with Globetrotters. You're kind of out there people see you, they know who you are, mm-hmm. but I didn't have social media then. Right. And now over the last, you know, six, seven months, social media following has expanded rapidly. I've started to see myself wanting to please making sure that like, people are happy and like, Hey, is this a good post? Is this, and it's this approval thing again coming Mm. up and it's really, you know, it's, it's been, it's helped me to be able to see like there's still more work below the surface we have to do. So something that I've, I've, I'm working on, I'm constantly working on is like, like you don't need people's approval for you to be enough. No, you don't need people's approval for you to be worthy. Mm. You needed your approval. And that's that's the journey that I'm on of constantly giving myself what I know I need. Yeah. Yeah. So the relationship with social media was becoming obsessive, do you think? Uh, for sure. I and I it's I'm aware enough to know it. Yeah. But it, it happens so subtly. It's like, oh wait, <laughs> that 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 post only got this many views, or that only did this, or I didn't get as many followers to and you start to realize that this creates like this dependency of yeah it's like an addiction it seriously yeah exactly the same thing it's never no one just is an addict day one right no right it just it slowly starts to gradually piece of you every day before you know it you're waking up and you're looking at your phone it's the first thing you check for to see how well something's done and it's why i um i started my social media after a year of being clean and then after a year it started to go really well. It's up to like 120,000 followers on TikTok. And I was mm-hmm. like, and after halfway through that, I had a little two week period off because I realized I was only doing it because I wanted to be famous. Mm, wow. I started it because I wanted to help people, but then it suddenly became about, as soon as I saw it going, like, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I just envisioned all of the lights. <laughs> wow. You know, the red carpet. And that was all I could see. And it was like, I need to put that down. Mm. After this process, putting things down. It's uh-huh. like, if something, if I become dependent on something, I just put it down. No. So I need time off. And then after putting it down, my relationship with it changed. I wasn't so obsessed with it. And then I was in relationships and I realized 
through the traumatic relationships I was in, I shouldn't really be helping anyone right now. Mm. I've got to put it down again. Oh. So I had another year. Wow. Off. So I had one year off at the start of my recovery. I didn't have social media because I was like, doing me. Then I came on to it. I had my relationship. I couldn't have a healthy relationship with it. Mm. You know, so I had to put it down. Great awareness to be able to do that though. Um, but yeah, I, I look back and now, and even, but even when I come back to it now, sorry, I could see the behavior creeping back. Mm. Still there. Yeah. But I've, if I'm not aware, I, I mean, I'm, I'm on my phone. Like, right. But now it's only through practice. Like I tried something else at first as well. I was like, right, I'm going to get two phones. Mm. But that didn't solve the problem. That made the physical situation easier for me because then I couldn't. So I, basically I would be at home, I'd right. post, and then the phone would go away and then when I'm out. But then I haven't learned anything, right? Right, yeah. You I've not got any better. Of it. Yeah. yeah. I, so as soon as it... So then I was like, yeah, that's not teaching me anything. I haven't grown. All I've done is made the physical world easy for me to manage the situation. My mental thing is still there. Right. Still right. there. So I was like, right, no, I'm going to have it on my phone and I need to I need to find a better way of dealing with this. And over the, even over the last like couple of months, I've just kind of allowed myself to look at it once or twice a day, apart from posting days, because I just want to see statistically how mm. things are going. But outside of that, beyond that day, I don't look at my social media now. Wow. That's, and I've, I'm to the point now where it's like, I know what the reason is. And I'm like, thank you, social media. I have work to do. Mm. And now I'm to the point where like, I don't, I go on there, post, or somebody on my team does it, but like, I don't, there's energetically, there's not the same tie to it at all. And now we can have a healthy relationship, me and social media. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So probably one of the last questions now. You're helping so many people with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you're seeing patterns in the behaviors of people that you are helping in terms of what it is they need help with. Yeah. What is the biggest problem that you can see with, with humanity, with society, yeah. with relationships, with people's relationships with themselves? What's the biggest problem you can see right now? We all have this wounded inner child inside of us. Mm. We all have something in our past that we have not reconciled, that we had not healed, that's preventing us from moving forward in life. Mm -hmm. You know, me wanting a Lamborghini, that was an inner child wound. My relationship with social media, that was an inner child wound. That was this little boy who maybe between the ages of seven and 10, didn't feel like he was good enough. Didn't feel like he got the approval and validation from dad that he wanted. So now he's seeking to get it from somewhere else. Well, I'll be good at sports and that way everybody will love me. Mm. Now sports is done. Well, I'll make enough money. Then I'll be enough. The money's all gone. Mm. And it's constantly seeking. I realize that I'm 40 now. I realized at like 39, 38, I got to go back and give that little boy what he needs. He needed to know that he was enough. He needed to know that he was safe. He needed, he needed to know that he was heard, that he was seen. I got to go back and give it to him because here's the reason why. I'm the only one in this universe who knows exactly what he felt because he was me. Mm. But it's painful. Yeah. It's triggering. It stings. It sucks. Mm. And what I'm learning, what I'm finding with all the different walks of life, it doesn't matter what your religious background is, doesn't matter your beliefs, doesn't matter where you live at, I'm finding that we all have these wounds inside of us, but we never got taught how to heal them. 
we never got taught that we had to go back and self-parent, meaning we had to give our child inside of us what it needed. We had to do it. I I would say till I'm gone, I'm going to help people and show people how to heal their inner child. Mm. Because this is really how we make this world a better place. Yeah, I hear that. I can relate to that for 100%. And maybe why I connected so much with everything you're saying and have been saying because it was like, yeah, what I'm trying to do for myself, you're you're doing it or I've done it. Mm. And you're saying it in a way that I have not been able to articulate myself, but I know mm. I'm doing it for a reason, but I can't see, I don't know why it's, but I know it's helping. Uh, yeah. know it's making me better. You know, yeah. the inner child stuff is, it's frustrating when you're trying to explain inner child to people and they just, it's like. Oh, that was my childhood. That was, uh, it's, I've, I've moved past that. What, was what do you mean inner child? Yeah. It's like, that's how oblivious we are. And almost people, almost as if people think that, what a load of nonsense that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, and you look at it, look at, if you look at it, our school system, think about school system. Why is it so long? There's no other thing in life that you have to do for that long. Mm. It's because we need to make sure we have enough time to indoctrinate you and essentially desensitize you so you don't even have an awareness of the inner child. Imagine mm. if school's taught how to heal your inner child. How? Uh... What this world would look like. I, look, I've expanded and grown this much this fast because I've made it an intention to heal my inner child. That's yeah. it. That's the, that's, that's like, I try to tell people like, Oh, how do you, how do you manifest and create? You know what? You know what? You go fucking heal your inner child. That's how, Yeah. that's how, because the child was the one who was using the imagination. The mm. child was the one who was the dreamer. The child was the one who believed it could be something more than what it was. Mm. So now you may be 35, 40 years old and you don't believe that you can get that job. That's because the child inside, didn't think it was worthy or even capable of getting that. But if I go back and heal him or heal her and get him to see like, oh, wow, I can do anything. Now watch what happened at age 40. You'll be able to do it. I love it. Well, listen, DG, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And as always, so eye-opening listening to you speak. So I hope everybody else loves this because I'm sure they will. But yeah, thank you for having me. Well, Zach, I appreciate you for having me on, man. I'm I'm watching your journey from afar, like, and to say that I know you is an honor and to watch and see like what you're doing for the community of those who struggle with addiction, the value exchange that you're creating, it's, it's, it's only going to continue to expand for you in your life. So unbelievably grateful for you having me on today. Thank you. Thank you.